0: And I'll tell you, those prayers went a long ways over there. It was just the most humbling experience I've ever had. And I really realize how how good America has it. Um, The poverty level over there is just incredible. But the real thing that I want to tell you guys, I want to share a story with you that uh, really touched me and touched everyone around us. Uh, We had been looking for this well and couldn't find it. I mean, I don't know if you all know what I did, but we repaired wellheads. We went over there and actually pulled the old wells out, and put new wells down, new reservoirs, new pumps, and uh, it was just incredible to see the people that would flock around these wells as we would do them. But the one well I want to really share with you guys is that we had been looking for this well, and it was at, like at the end of the earth, and we couldn't find it. We were asking people, and God sent this little 12-year-old boy up to us and said that, I know where this well is. So we told him to get in the vehicle and he got in and took us for this journey and it was through dozens of goat paths and pastures and and it's just a beautiful landscape but we got up to this road, took a left on it and at the end of this road there was this overgrown wellhead that had been down for eight years. These people had been going to the river which was ten minutes away and they'd been going to another spring box that was about 25 minutes away so... They would send their kids out every morning to go get the water from the spring box 25 minutes away, then they'd walk back 25 minutes. So as we approached this well, we seen this overgrown wellhead, and this gentleman came from the house, an older gentleman, he goes that, I had prayed to God this morning that someone would come and fix this well. And that we, did, we were just blown away. And at that point there, he had said that he knew that God had sent these men because they were white men. What does that mean? I don't know. He, he had, I think he just was overwhelmed at the fact that, you know, seven of these white guys had come up, and, and just, you know, he knew it was God. he had meant by that. But so we, we got up in there, and then these guys with machetes come out, and they started clearing the well. We got out there. We pulled the toolbox. We prayed over the well, and we started pulling it. It happened to be 160 feet deep. So we had 160 feet of pipe to pull, which is incredibly hard. I don't know if anybody knows what it's like to pull 160 feet of galvanized pipe out of a hole, but I mean, it was tough. So we got about 30 feet of the well out and this thunderstorm come rolling in. I mean, and it was just pouring into us. We got wet. The team leader was about ready to call the well off. And our incredible God pushed the storm away from us and we were able to finish that well that day. So again, I just want to thank all of you for the prayers. Um, A lot of you have supported me, Crossroads supported me, and I'm already signed up for next year.
1: How many wells did you fix over
0: there? Oh, that's right, yeah, we had fixed 11 wells which we felt had serviced 23,800 people. That's unbelievable. Thank you.
1: How's everybody doing this morning? Pretty good? Kind of good? The weather, it's going to get spring. You're doing, someone's doing great. I heard them. The the weather is going to get better and uh, this just helps us appreciate spring even more when it really gets here and uh, it's coming. Rod and his family get a couple Sundays off, well-deserved, and we're praying for them as well, but I'm a little envious because they did go toward the south direction, <laughs> where it's a little bit warmer. You know, I brought something up here. Some of you are curious about this, but, you know, I love working on my uh, stuff at home, and what what is this, guys? It's a grinder. Good. Yeah, it's a little tiny grinder. We use it to, uh, well, I use it for lots of things, brushing my teeth and other things like that, but... No, not really. You don't want to do that. Please, don't even think to try to do that. But you do, you know, you sharpen tools with this, and it's been pretty handy. But honestly, the way it is, you know, I can turn it on, and it's not very impressive, is it? It's really not heavy enough to be used, like, as a boat anchor in case it didn't work. you just kind of, you throw it away. But when it's connected to a a power source, even just 110 volts, it... uh, you know, it's kind of a fun little deal. Just listen to this guy. Whew. You don't want to brush your teeth with that thing, trust me. But it's got power. Now, why do I do that? One is, again, I do like tools, but another is just to emphasize that apart from power, this thing just doesn't, doesn't do much. And far more seriously, Apart from the source of power for our lives, we're not going to impact Grand Rapids. We're not going to impact our families. We're not going to impact our marriages. We're not going to impact our own lives. We need the power of God in our lives. And we need to figure out, it's really pretty easy for me to plug that thing into 110 volts, but it's a little bit more complicated. And I really sense God wanting us to speak on this. I've been praying about this for a few weeks and, and I really have sensed some, some opposition from the enemy on this thing, even during the last 24 hours and so on. So those of you that are given to prayer, I'd appreciate your prayer even for this time. It's almost like, God, I mean, last night you can't believe the issues we had. Or just to get started, we got started about 20 minutes late because of issues with just technology. And it's like the, the enemy doesn't want you to hear what we're going to be talking about. Not that it's profound, but it's very important. And it's not me, it's the Word of God, it's the power of God. We need that power of God, and it's not that I've arrived, trust me. I'm in process, daily process, as I will be sharing, but I've tasted this, and I know that if we don't have the power of God, that that things are not going to work well. We're going to lose our notes and everything else. But uh, three things I want to discuss. One is, just to show again from Scripture, that God has just given us all we need for power to live the Christian life, to love our spouses, to love our kids and train them, to, to be the shade, to be the water, to our city, to be the city of God. He's given us what we need. He's given us everything we need. He's done it. He paid it all. He said on the cross, it's finished. I did it. It's not that we somehow stir up our energy and we get good enough and then God pats us on the head and says, okay, you did good enough. It's it's we came to him as sinners. It says in Romans 5, it says, well, God proves his love for us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead, dead in our transgressions and sins. And he made us alive. So it's not, a, it's not religion we're talking about today. It's not trying to earn something and try to be good enough for God. It's that God has done it all. And he paid the price so that we can, we can be his his brothers and sisters, Christ's brothers and sisters, and and his joint heirs with Christ forever. But not only has he provided the power to to do that, he wants us to have victory in our lives on a daily basis. He wants to give us power to live victorious, not perfect. Perfection, this side of the grave, I don't think we get to that point, but we move toward being more and more like Christ. So we want to just see that he's made his power available to us. Two is we want to See, why is it, again, that we need God's power? We basically have answered that question to a great degree. We'll just kind of go quickly over that. But then three, the how. How do we get it into our lives? I wish it were that easy. Just plug in. But what do we got to do? What do we have to do in our own lives? All right. So just to see, again, there's so much in Scripture about the power of God. It just felt like a, you know, a mosquito at the beach. I mean, you just don't know where to start You know, sort of thing. You got to think about that one just a little bit, but I don't know where that came. I'm maybe longing for a beach at this point. But just one great spot. I love the book of Ephesians. In fact, whenever my faith quotient gets kind of low, I can read the book of Ephesians in about 15 minutes, and my faith quotient just grows. There's so much gold in here. Um, let's look at Ephesians 1. I'm not going to have you stand because we got a lot of scriptures to look through, and I want to make comments as we go along, but. Um, Not to say we don't respect, we greatly respect, you know, every part of the Word of God. But we can do that sitting as well as standing, and and that's what we're going to do today. But uh, there's two prayers that Paul gives. He kind of verbalizes, he puts to to writing the prayers that he's prayed for the Ephesians. And one of those is in chapter 1, starting with verse 15. If you don't have a Bible and want one, be sure you get We're going to be going in different sections of Scripture today, and it might be good for you to be able to follow along. That, by the way, was on page 827. But You've probably already found it. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Then he tells what he prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may know in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He says, I want you to to have this spirit of wisdom revelation. I want you to know him better, more deeply. That's what we talk about, knowing him and then going, knowing him, going. And he also wants to know this hope. This This is worth a sermon by itself, this incredible treasure that we have stored up for us in heaven. So he wants to know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then third, he says, I want you to know his incomparably great power That's the Greek word dunamis, where we get dynamite from, for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He says, I want you to know, I'm praying that you guys will figure this thing out. I want you to know how much power is in you. See, the same power that took this corpse called Jesus, dead corpse, he was room temperature, brought him back to life. That power is in you. Come on, I want you to know that, says Paul. Then turn over to chapter 3, verse 14 of Ephesians. He's got another prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray That out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with, again, the same word dunamis, power, through his spirit. Where? In your inner being. I want you to have power inside, in your power source, like a nuclear power source in there that just keeps going. So that Christ, why? So that Christ, Christ, the Son of God, the, the creator of the universe, the I Am, the Alpha, the Omega, may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. It's not something you instinctively feel. It's something that you believe. Take him at his word through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, also may have power, may be able to gather with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, experientially to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He says it one more time. He says, now unto him or to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine How? according to his dunamis, according to his power. Where? It's work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well if Paul needed to pray that the Ephesians would would know this power. I mean how much more do we need to in an age where we just if we don't see it, we really don't believe it. We're all into, you know, science and things visible and This feels a little squishy to us and just kind of out of the ordinary, certainly. I mean, it's not something that we just naturally understand. It's something that we need to remind ourselves, and that's why we need fellowship with each other. That's why we need to be in the book. That's why we need to be in real prayer and communion with God for him to reassure us regularly that we we have this power that's in us because Christ is living in us. So we have the power, and by the way, that word dunamis is a real popular word in the New Testament. If you just get a concordance and check it out, I mean, so many times when Christ would go around doing miracles, that word is used. He had the power, the dunamis, to bring people back to life and to heal the blind and, and walk on water and, and do other things that he did, bring, you know, bring healing to, to the crowds. So we have his power in us, those of us who have asked Christ into our lives. Now, if you're here and you haven't done that yet, you don't have that power source in you. You need to start there. It says in John 1, 12, that as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And again, if that's not something that someone in here has done, imagine in a crowd like this, you've maybe gone to church your whole life, and they say the difference between heaven and hell is 18 inches between my head and my heart. I mean, I know a, a person who was a pastor in a denominational church, and he had openly admits he, was, he went through seminary. He was a pastor, preaching the gospel, and he wasn't even, even a Christian yet. You say, how can that happen? It happens. He's not just the savior of the world. He's gotta be the savior of me. He's gotta be my Lord, my savior. It's, we gotta have this encounter with him. That makes all the difference in the world. So we've got to start there to get him in us. Well, then once he's in us, he's done his part. And I've done my part to get him in there, but now we need to find out, uh, you know, why is it that we need to have God's power? And again, we, we've really touched on that in a, in a great way. Um, it's because, you know, if you read this book very much, you realize that he asks us to do things that are just plain impossible. I mean, he says... Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Bless them and curse not. I loved what Greg did to have us pray for other churches. Wasn't that awesome? I was so touched by God to do that. We need to do more of that, to pray for them. And they're not our enemies, don't, don't get me wrong. But, but we sometimes compete. We're not competing. We bless people in other churches that are preaching the gospel, and we need to keep doing that. But when the scriptures say... You know, love your enemies, do good to those that despitefully use you. It. it says, in in everything, or give thanks in all circumstances. How many of you give thanks in all circumstances? <laughs> it doesn't, by the way, it doesn't say be, feel thankful. That's the truth. And there's been times in my life where some major things have hit me, and, and when I'm reminded by his spirit of what to do, I can sometimes say, okay, thank you, God. But it's amazing when I obey him, when we just take a step of obedience, he'll flood us with, a, with grace. I've seen that happen just countless times, and I don't want to take the time right now to recount a number of those. But, but, but he talks about doing that, to give thanks in all circumstance, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Are you kidding me? How do we do this? We need his power to be able to do these impossible. In fact, someone has suggested, if you want to figure out, you pretty much can hit it almost every time, you want to figure out what God expects of you, just think what comes natural to you. So somebody cuts you off on the road, and you want to (laughs) flip them off. Just think what comes natural to you, right? And then think of the opposite. 180 degrees opposite. And then I'll bet you can find some verses that say the opposite's the right way to go. That's how he says, "My ways are not your ways." He, he, he's God is is a God of love. I mean, I'm thinking of uh, this guy Richard Verbrun that some of you know the name. He wrote the book Tortured for Christ. He's now with the Lord, but I think I've talked about him before. He came to my undergraduate school when I was at school in Boston. And uh, he came to this little gathering of inner varsity or whatever it was, and he took his shirt off. He had been in prison, solitary confinement for years. He took his shirt off. He had holes all through his torso where he'd been burned with these hot poker things. That was just the, the visible stuff. He was in solitary confinement for years. And he came out to start a ministry. They finally let him go. They couldn't break him. But he said that it's just amazing that when these people would be brutally tortured, that they would have the power of God to say to their torturers, God loves you, and I love you too. It, just, it would just boggle the minds of these torturers. They couldn't understand this. This is not human people. This is, this is God's power. We need it. Now, there's some people that say, no, 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 you can live the Christian life. You can be good without God. That's easy. And we know we can think of people that are not followers of Jesus that are decent people. But, again, I've known a number of them, but they they purpose to to put it on the outside. But if push comes to shove, they're going to break at some point, and then you're going to see the real thing that comes from the inside. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 3. It's page uh, 843. Talking about the end times. 2 Timothy 3, the first few verses there. As Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days, and again I don't know if we're in the last days or not, but some of these things sound pretty familiar. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, treacherous, rash, conceited. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And finally, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with them. A form of godliness. Just going through the motions and outside stuff, but denying that God has any real power to make it happen. He says, stay away from those people. And we as followers of Christ are really enjoined in Scripture not, I mean, the most dangerous people for us to hang around with are not the non-Christians. We're not the people that are totally without God. Because we're supposed to be a witness to them, a missionary to them. We're supposed to share them. We're supposed to show them what the gospel is. But as ones who call themselves Christians who don't behave like they should. Look at 1 Corinthians 5 on that point, just real quickly. And this presents a real struggle for us as parents. You know, where to send your kids to a school situation? And to make sure that in that school, we need to pray for our our Christian school administrators and others because they're responsible in in that to to have a a godly environment. And we have some great folks in this church that make that happen. But that's a challenge to, you know, what friends do our kids associate with? 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to the end, it says, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or are greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or swindler. With such a man do not even eat. So the challenge, again, is for ourselves, for the people we hang with and, and the people that we have our children hang with, is we want to help them pick friends that believe in the power of God, that are going the right way. Scripture says, bad company corrupts good character. Friends are extremely important. I saw that, obviously, as a, as a juvenile court judge for many years, where I'd have kids come before me that were pretty decent kids. And they'd, have, they'd be pleading guilty to a breaking and entering, and they'd be crying their eyes out, um, just feeling terrible, and their parents weren't, were with them and weren't a lot happier either, as you can imagine. And often... I said, well, what happened? Well, I was out with my friends at night. And uh, one of my buddies, he said, hey, these people at Joneses aren't home. Let's go see what's in their house. And the hardest thing in the world is to say, no, I'm not going to do that and walk away. And he ends up getting in trouble, captured, you know, arrested, sent before a judge. So we got to help our kids pick friends that are going God's way. Again, no one's perfect. Don't get me wrong, our kids certainly aren't perfect, but we've got to be careful both for ourselves and our friends in doing that. But we need people that believe in the power of God. So how do we get it in? Third point, how to appropriate the power of God in our lives. In one sense, it's really simple. I mean, it's not quite as simple as plugging in a tool, but it's really simple. I mean, there's only one person who ever lived the Christian life successfully. His name's Jesus Christ. So, all you got to do is just get Jesus to be the power source of your life, and it's all over. So, in one sense, it's easy, but how do you do that? Well, again, we talked if you're not a follower of Christ, you need to ask him in. But if you're, and if you're a newer follower, and we got some younger Christians here in this room, some of what I'm going to be saying over the next few minutes, you're just going to scratch your head and can't figure it out. Because, you know, when you come to Christ, there's kind of this honeymoon period for a period of time where it's kind of easy. I mean, me and Jesus, Jesus and me, and sometimes we're a little bit obnoxious when we're a new Christian. We're just sharing with everybody, and we're just kind of like little kids running around with this excitement. And uh, then as things settle in, you, you little by little get to see, man, I got these problems that I can't shake in my life. What's the deal? And then our spouses, if we're married, start talking to us and telling us about how there's parts of our life that may aren't so pretty. Ever have, anyone ever have that experience? I have. And, uh, and our friends around us say, you know, why is it that you have this issue with you? And I say, what do you mean? We go through denial. We say, what do you, what do you mean? I'm good. Everything's cool. And uh, we get in the Word, and the Word starts provoking. And say, boy, I don't know that I really am... Give thanks in all circumstance. Maybe that doesn't apply to Christians today. You know, we can't do some of those things. You know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, maybe that was just back in the, maybe that's a cultural thing. Or, you know, we do that sort of thing. That's not a cultural thing. It's what God expects of us. It wants us to do. You know, it's kind of funny, even Apostle Paul, when you look at some of his earlier letters, he says, he describes himself as the least of the Apostles. That's like saying, I'm I'm probably not on the top of the president's list, but I was still a president of the United States. You know, I mean, he's the least of the apostles. By the time he's at, toward the end of his career, when he writes to Timothy, he says he's chief of all sinners. It's kind of a progression you go through, trust me. Those of you that are newer Christians, don't be surprised when you start seeing problems in your life. You say, what? I, I, I can't seem to get over this thing. I... Well, maybe it's not a problem. Well, maybe it is. You keep reading Word, and and you want to have the real thing going with God, and you get frustrated. You say, I shouldn't be worried, but here I am worrying. Um, Here I am angry, flipping people off, and taking revenge, or thinking about taking revenge. I I can't control the lust things in my head like I need to. My computer has become my enemy, and it, it, it tempts me, or you know, I, I, the food issue and others that just, I can't, I just go to the wrong things. It's like I've got these idols. I don't know what's wrong with me. I must, maybe, maybe I didn't really make the decision right. We, we go through this challenging time. And God gives us trials in our life. We keep bumping our nose against things. And, and we just, we don't always win. And we begin to wonder, what's wrong with this Christian life? I want it to work. What we'll, we'll just if you're frustrated, that's good. That's good for you to, to, to come that way. That means that, that God's getting you. He wants to bring you to the end of yourself. We don't just naturally want to give up control. Now, some of us are more control freaks than others of us. I mean, I'm off the charts. I like everything, just control. And others are more laid back and the say la sort of attitude. But at some level we do not naturally just give up control of our life to this invisible God who says, I love you because I love you because I love you. We do at some moments in our life when on the mountaintop, but just day in and day out, it's so easy to pull back and just try to make it happen on our own. See, the biggest obstacle, see, Christ is in us. He's done all he needs to do. It's like, he says, I got power source for you. But when we stiff-arm him, and come with pride and self-sufficiency and control, he just backs right off. He's a gentleman. He says, all right, go ahead. You do it. You figure this thing out. You make it happen. And we try, and we say, hey, I did pretty good today, didn't I, Jesus? He says, not bad, but I could do better. But love you. And he just kind of sits there until finally we come to the end of our rope and we do like I did, I remember a few years ago, Marsha and I took a trip out west and we had our flight back to Grand Rapids was was a late flight. And I thought, you know, Marsha, I'll bet if we would leave this nice resort area a little bit earlier in the day that we could stand by on some flights to fly back to Grand Rapids. And so let's let's just, I just really sense that's what we should do. So big macho Randy figuring all this stuff out. So we get our rental car, we turn in our rental car at the airport, and we go, and we go to the to standby on an earlier flight back to Chicago, I think it was. And <clears throat> they called the, the list of standbys, and we weren't on it. We couldn't get on that flight. I you know, said, well, um, next one, two hours later. Couldn't get on that one. We had to wait for our flight, which was like at 5 p.m. I mean, we were there the whole day. But mid through that day... I got so angry. I just, oh, God, I thought you led us to go here. We could still be at that resort. I just, I just made such an idiot. Marcia thinks I'm kind of stupid. And <laughs> I said, I am so mad. I felt like Jonah. Remember how he sat under that tree, and then the tree died, or the vine died? And he said, I could, I'm so mad I could just die. I really said those words to God. You know what he said back to me? It was surprising. He said, well, it's about time. What? It's about time you died. Get out of the way, Heckman. Galatians 2:20. A verse that you should commit to memory. Galatians 2:20. He says, "I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me." The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been, past tense, crucified with Christ. And that is, that is a theological reality. When we come to Christ, we die with him. And he rose from the dead, we rise with him. That's what baptism's all about. It's a symbol of, of what happened to us. But it's just that we, this is a faith thing. This is not a feeling thing. This is a belief thing, folks. And we live in an age where if we don't feel it, we don't believe it, unfortunately. So this is, this is hard for us 21st century people to get our minds around. That's why we've got to really be in this word, fellowship with each other, prayer, encouraging each other, and just believe what God says. We don't experience the power of God in our lives until we go to the cross and stay there and give up the fight. Some of you have been lifeguards, and you know what the, what the routine is or what the drill is. There's a big, strong, 200-pound person drowning, and you're a 110-pound female lifeguard. You do not go until that guy's about ready to die. And then you go and rescue him, and he'll be be like a whipped puppy. Just get me to shore. That's what we need to do. Alcoholics, drug addicts, they they haven't reached bottom yet. They They don't reach out for help until they are desperate, until they just give up trying. They say, oh I just I think if I just try a little uh uh-uh, uh give it up first three steps of AA my life's out of control God can control my life I'm gonna give my life to God to control it that's but you say well those are alcohol those are drugs those are the you know those you know those are the people are really bad off I'm not that bad yeah anyone that says I'm not that bad you're still in denial you are that bad your 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 disease your your sin Your weakness is just not so visible. Workaholism is 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 glorified today. If you ask somebody, How you doing? Some businessman, if he says, Look, I'm out of work, you write them off. And there's a lot of people get written off today by the world that way. God doesn't write them off. God loves them. Just the same. But if you say to somebody, How you doing? I'm busy. It's like gold star. And that's sick. That's just as sick. If you have to work to be okay, if you have to get applause to be okay, if you have to be, you know, your kids have to turn out okay for you to be okay, if you have to anything, you know, you get comfort out of this substance or that substance or this thing you do or that thing you do, anything other than God, you're just as desperate as the guy that takes the bottle. We desperately, desperately need him. we got to get to bottom. we got to get to the absolute bottom and say, I can't, but you can. We can't just stay there at the bottom. We got it in two two things at the same time. One is I totally give up, but I totally trust the risen Christ in me to make this thing happen. It's kind of like learning to ride a bike. It's 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 hard. I've had twelve kids to teach to ride two wheelers, okay. And I, I think I got pretty good at it actually after a while, but some were you know better than others. But again, the trick is that you hold the the, the seat or you get behind them so they can't see when you let go. And you get them going and you let go and they go down for a while and then they turn around and see that you're not there anymore and sometimes that's when they crash. But <laughs> but it's like that. It's learning. It's learn. if there's a learning here, And God is patient with us. He's patient as we learn this. But that's what we've got to do. Now, I wish you could just kind of do it one time and it's done. I, I read the... Uh, uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. You might want to get that off the website or get the book. And it seems like Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, it almost seems like he had a a once-in-a-lifetime experience like that. He struggled, 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 struggled. And then he had a real insight that Christ really owned him. That, you know, where it says in John 15 that I am the vine, you're the branches. That we're part of Christ. It doesn't say... (laughs) When you look at a grapevine, you don't say... Hey, look at that grapevine, and look at the branches. I mean, everything's the vine. I mean, Christ is the whole thing. That's what he realized, that, that he and Christ are, are one, that he's this union, that it's, it's really up, the burden's on Christ to make this thing work. And, uh, and it almost seemed from reading his biography that he reached that point, and he just kind of stayed there. Well, I, I, I can't say that. I, I, make, I make a daily decision, and, and honestly, there's a little scripture, I think, to support the daily thought Luke 9.23 says, Then he said to them all, If any man would come after me, this is Jesus speaking, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. There's a daily taking up a cross, dying, a daily giving up, saying, Uncle, white flag, I can't make it happen, but you can. And I'm following you and I'm trusting you. What's so good is that Christ is so much more committed for you and me making it. He's such a great teacher. I, I love the the song by John Newton. Um, John Newton's the slave trader from the 1700s that wrote Amazing Grace. There's this one verse from a fairly long song that he wrote. He wrote a lot of songs, but Thou art coming to a King. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such. None can ever ask too much. That's just that's powerful. You can't ask too much of God. He is just got it all. He created the universe. This, This earth is such a speck. And yet it's a valuable speck to him. And each micro speck on there is really valuable to him. He died for us. He's committed to us. He wants you to win in your marriage. He wants you to win in your parenting. He wants you to win as a student. He wants us to win to be a light to the people around us. He's committed to that. And we need to, again, give up the fight, go to him, see that he's done it. It's not to earn anything. It's just to rejoice in his finished, finished work. He died for us without our asking him to do it. And he's living in us. And he wants, us, he wants to win through us, but he's such a gentleman. He's going to wait until we say, Lord, I give up, and I trust you to do it through me. I was just going to end with one more. You've got to hear this just to wake up anybody that's still sleeping. But, again, this is cool. It's amazing what 110 volts can do. But 110 volts can't bring a dead man back to life again. You have in you the power that did that. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. You are so awesome. You're such a hero. You're such a winner. You you paid it all. You, 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 did us, you did enough, Lord, just to save us when we weren't even asking for you to die for us. While we were still your enemies, you died for us. You didn't do it because we're so great and so lovable. You just did it because you love us. It's all about you. That would have been enough, Lord, just to kind of do that, and then I'll see you when you get to heaven type attitude. But you've done far beyond that. You, 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 you reconcile us to, to God by your death, and, and now you save us day by day by your life. You pray for us. It says in Scripture that you intercede daily for us. You're praying for us. You're cheering us on. You're on our team. You want us to pray big prayers. And, Lord, I just encourage each one of us, Lord, to, to pray those big <laughs> prayers to you, to say, Lord, my marriage is stuck. My life is stuck. Help me. It says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and delivers them from all their trouble. Lord, deliver each one from the trouble they're in by your power, by your grace, by your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.